talking uh, to Ryan Mitchell, uh, who is um, Ryan Mitchell, um, but son also of Ed Mitchell, who is the barbecue guru. And what what does he call it? The, the pit master, master. The pit master. <laughs> <laughs> the pit master Ed Mitchell. That's what he goes by. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I, before we came on, I was talking to Ryan about how the the cookbook is really extraordinary and uh, it's like it's more than a cookbook listeners uh, let me tell you it's um it, it's a, a history book uh and and a lot of history from a perspective that was really important for me to hear and for other people to hear um from black black people who ignore existed in the transition period as well um, in the past in the transition and and hopefully in the future so it's a great take on history it also is, has a lot of philosophy uh, a lot of um, of soul about it in terms of the the we are gonna have to explain if you want listeners to, to understand the essence of barbecue this is the book to get um, now, you, both you and your father, um, yeah. have a, a kind of an interesting. Um, you you both went off, decided to do something altogether different, something corporate or um, uh, you know that kind of thing. And, and and then you got drawn back. Could you just do a sort of a thumbnail um, of like how your father ended up back? And, and, and where is the setting? You're also a place person in yes, North Carolina. Absolutely. absolutely. Wilson, Wilson, North Carolina is our home. Yeah. Um, uh, you, you know, I'm sorry. I don't know where that – can you pinpoint that? I don't know if I've ever been there. We, uh, Wilson, North Carolina is uh, right, right in the, the eastern part of uh, North Carolina. So we are mm-hmm. about uh, about – 20 minutes uh, from the capital, which is Raleigh, and we're also in about 45 minutes to an hour from the coast, uh, which is Wilmington. So we have a, a unique pro- proximity um, as far as, you know, the history that came through Wilson and how we had to play a part in, the, you know, the tobacco trade uh, in the early 30s and 40s. Uh, we were a huge... That sounds like nasty oil. stuff, you know, that the whole tobacco phase was such yeah. a really nasty. Tobacco phase, the hog phase, uh, pork, you know, uh, pork farms. I mean, we, we, we lived through the trenches uh, of, of some of the economic engines here for the Carolinas. And, uh, I mean, a little background. Your yeah. father, I know, who, who had this huge family? I... I, I Almost choked at how that one of your families it was like something like fifty people or something. Yeah, yeah. So just to take you back just a little bit, I mean, you know, my father and I both. It's interesting. We both had similar paths back to the family business, but his was uh, we'll say his was a lot more forceful. He got taken away to Vietnam uh, in his uh, college days, and um, and so he had grown up with my grandparents on the farm uh, and, and, and doing sharecropping and, you know, had, had fought his way through segregation and getting to uh, getting to college as well. But my, my father's father, which is my great-grandfather, 
he fathered 35 children. <laughs> that sounds impossible. Uh, yeah. yeah, right. We, so, listen. We, know, we know what he liked to do in his spare time. Huh? Yeah, man. He, he, he was a, uh, yeah. <laughs> listen, he had 35 children, but only two wives. So that was uh, pretty impressive for those times. And, um, and uh, so he fathered Doretha, which is my grandmother, and Doretha and Willie fathered Ed, and Ed and Sandra made me. So that's kind of the running history of, uh, of how large our family grew to be. Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was pretty intense for a long time because a lot of the family and a lot of the relatives, uh, you know, stayed local. So, man, we were, you know, we, we were engulfed in uh, a lot of um, culture, a lot of hospitality, of a lot of, you know, plantation, farm life. Everybody had an experience, you know, from, you know, the, you know, 20s and 30s. And it was, it was, uh, it was a lot for me as a young kid, you know. To oh, I was very envious reading about your family gatherings and all the food and all the oh, God, yeah. interactions. What's fun? But, oh, God, hold, yes, yeah. Hold on, hold on a second. Let me insert a question at this point. You, you, you have both a store and a restaurant? Yeah. Uh, we grew up. We uh, our grocery store. My grandparents ran a little co- a corner grocery store after they retired called Mitchell's Supermarket. And once my grandfather passed away, then we converted that into a barbecue restaurant. Really, uh, just on a whim. It wasn't anything planned. My grandmother's, you know, her therapy and her gift to the community and the church is just cooking and cooking and cooking. So that's what she really got into. Uh, as a way to grieve the passing of my grandfather. And so, you know, barbecue was just something that was in our family heritage from from decades and decades that we just did, um, you know, as a sense of enjoyment. You know, it really wasn't, you know, a solid business plan that we put together. I tell people all the time we got into the, the barbecue business really from, a place of pain and therapy, not through the competition circuit or anything. So uh-huh. we didn't e- we didn't even know that that was a thing, you know, when we first started selling barbecue. Well, uh, I mean, you have so many perspectives on this. There's a lot of yeah. faith running through this too, which was uh, made me feel really good um, about it. Uh, now, Peter and I have um, roasted our share of whole pigs. Yes. But nothing like this. What distinguishes this kind of um, and it's Southern barbecue, but it's also African American, right? Correct, correct. Well, the thing or about black, um, yeah, black African American. I mean, our area, uh, you know, Wilmington uh, and up from Wilmington all the way up to South Carolina. Those were major, uh, you know, uh, slave imports. Um, from um, early settlers coming into the to the Carolinas and into the South, early entry points into the South. So we had a lot of history that still remains, you know, as as um, plantations and and early slaves learned how to cook food on plantations and also cook food on the run, you know, barbecue and or large, um, you know, roasting entire animals was a way in which we fed, you know, larger gatherings of larger groups of people, and also it was an ingenuity on how to cook in the ground without the smoke being so visible uh, when you were, you know, making your way, you know, through um, to freedom. So 
cooking cooking pits in the ground, uh, the ingenuity of cooking, digging pits in the ground, and learning how to get uh, larger animals done. Then you know, as as time went on, we you know moved above ground, and uh, but the technique was still the same as far as you know, just filling up a barrel smoker and making sure you have your coals and your heat sources, you know, appropriated to the right parts of the animal. And it's really just an experience, a, a, a spiritual experience, you know, fire and wood are, are man's early, um, you know, ways of getting food done. So, you know, that's all they had. So, you know, it, it's really, it's really a spiritual side of cooking. It's also, this book is kind of a meditation on respect as well cultural Absolutely. respect and and Absolutely. that comes through really strongly um you 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 have we should mention zella palmer uh wrote with you on this book and yes, she did Zella's an amazing right. job she her her research was uh impeccable um and that's and that's really the difference uh as, as we talk about kind of what separates our book from a lot of books i mean i didn't i didn't want this project to be just, you know, all about us and all about Ed or myself or my family because barbecue and the path that we came into the business was too huge. It was too, there was too many, you know, uh, really important topics to just kind of hog the spotlight. So we wanted to be, you know, we wanted to have our research done. We wanted to to tell stories that kind of reflected the entire culture of barbecue as I we, was as, full as, of stories. I mean, it's as we, as we live walking through a big story and, and, and telling story and cultural information. It's just, listeners, it's really an amazing book. Yeah, uh, it, it, you. But you also get into technique and so on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and real recipes. Uh, and, and the photography, by the way, we should mention the photography. That was really good. Yeah. And that you yeah. came by the photographer by asking somebody who. Yeah, she uh, um, she is a, a Bax Miller is a, a couple husband and wife team out of Wilmington, North Carolina, and they came highly referred. We wanted to try and keep as many North Carolina. Uh, handprints and, and, and fingerprints on this project as, as possible to kind of highlight the talent here. So even Zella, her family, and her cousins um, have um, a lineage here in North Carolina and the Wilson area. Um, even Dr. Dr. Howard Conyers, he's uh, did an uh, amazing job on his foreword. He's from South Carolina, but he's a huge historian of North Carolina barbecue. But, uh, but Bax Miller, uh, I mean, they've done some amazing projects and worked with the likes of Vivian Howard and all types of um, uh, projects for the UNC Press. So they're, you know, they really have a unique eye for Carolina food culture. Now, wasn't it exciting that you found some of those some of those photographs, which can only be described as historical? Yeah, absolutely, man. We somebody, did it. We, somebody was somebody was taking pictures and and putting them for, away thing. for whatever reason. For only whatever. to discover That's a reason because you, you found a reason to, to to use the photos. It was mind blowing. You know, we as we got into the UNC archives to think that someone was photographing that. You know, and um, now for us to be able to have it as a part of our, you know, uh, storytelling. You know, which hadn't been done before for our area. It was it was just 
it was amazing. I mean, the ones that made it in, made it in, but we had so many others that I wish could have made it in as well. But no, every every author you talk to complains about having to cut stuff out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was the hard part. Somehow, somehow there was a connection between your family, or at least somebody in Wilson, with with the famous Madam Walker. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, Zella. Zella's uh, that's Zella's great great grandmother, um, and her family. And Miss Lisa Henderson is also a Wilson historian. She did a, a foreword also in, inside the project. And her and Zella are cousins. And okay, so. The great Zella Walker's family, Dr. Uh, Ward, uh, we have a street in Wilson named after the Wards called Ward Boulevard, um, and they spent, um, you know, decades here in in, uh, in Wilson, North Carolina, before they moved off uh, to Zella's parents, ended up in Chicago and now New Orleans. So now, now, wh- wh- for me... Where, where, where is the street called Mitchell Street? Yeah, we got to get one of those, right? <laughs> I, I should say so. That's right, man. That would be an honor. That would be an honor. But for me, you know, um, t- to know that uh, there's um, that type of history ran through my town and then they're off in the world, you know, uh, around the country with this type of connectivity was mind-blowing for me because I had never met Zello, um, and and we didn't know that our histories and families had, you know, ran through uh, this town, but uh, our hometown, but like to know that there's uh, a connectivity with someone in Chicago and New Orleans and West Coast, but they all have these Southern roots. It really just kind of speaks to, you know, where our families had to come from and get to, to be out in the, you know, out around the country. Uh, and, And it was just an amazing experience to know that you've you've been you've knocked the socks off of a lot of celebrities too <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i used to be right about had... some of your encounters uh, oh uh, yeah and on the um um the, the food southern foodways um there's yes. a huge connection right yes and i mean that really helped propel you into the spotlight as well right Yes, it did. Yes, it did. We didn't even know. Uh, this was the uh, late 90s. Once, once we really got into the business and we decided to stay uh, true to the craft, the art form of cooking whole hog barbecue, you know, was to just cook over oak wood and fire and build pits. And a lot of the establishments that were left in our area had already moved over to gas cookers and other commercialized forms of cooking. So we were just the last of the last that was still holding on to the manpower to go in there and, you know, build pits and light, you know, light fires and, and watch whole hogs for 12 hours, you know, with, with pit masters. And yeah. so the Southern, <laughs> the Southern Foodway Alliance was sending out uh, their, their uh, foodies and their reporters and their, and their staff writers sending them out around the country to visit different places who were still surviving on the origin of the craft. And they stumbled mm-hmm. upon us, and, um, and they just uh, were just blown away that we were still, you know, doing it that way. I mean, and they, how, and what they is it? really helped us. What, what, you write throughout here about how it's, it's transformative 
tasting your barbecue? I mean, what actually is it about? I think it's about um, the, the, the spiritual connection, the ancestral connection that the craft and the skill sets that you are using were taught to you by someone who um, the, the, the lineage of the skill set and the craft has a story behind it. And so as you're, as you're actually performing it, you know, my grandmother always says the secret ingredient is love, you know, and so cooking hog, over, you know, cooking hogs and, and over, over open fires for 12 hours, I mean, you have to love what you're trying to give to, to someone. And so, but the smoke and the oak wood uh, and our, our barbecue is vinegar-based barbecue sauce. And so yeah, well, that's that is, regional. That, I mean, yeah. the Carolinas, that's what they do, vinegar-based. That's right. Vinegar-based okay. barbecue sauce is, is what we do. But also, the vinegar has a unique connectivity to our area because it was also used as a preservative. And it was also used as a way by which we... Uh, tenderize the animal, and, and, and it was easier to break down once you began cooking, and we started uh-huh. chopping and pulling the meat. So it was more than just the seasoning. It was also, uh, you know, some ingenuity behind, you know, the acidity that's in vinegar that was also used to preserve it because it was going to be outdoors for a very long time. Now, so, somebody in your family, might have been your grandmother, spe- specialized in barbecuing whole turkeys. Yes. But, but yes, you, that was you, my grandmother. You didn't. You didn't mention, or maybe you did, and I just didn't see it. The the famous turducken. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> tur- yeah, man. Listen, I do anything to get all uh, <laughs> get mad in a turducken. That was uh, was the Thanksgiving football games, man. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you needed to be kind of care- careful with 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 cooking a whole whole turkey in fat. <laughs> oh yeah, the risk you might wear so. it and lose my skin. Fire. That's right, man. That fire and the moisture that goes into uh, you know people trying to you know cook them with with all types of uh, you know gas cookers, man. But we put them on the oak wood and charcoal just like we do a chicken, and we kind of we're able to kind of get them done that way a little better. Now, um, you you spend um, a, a while here. Just like it seems like one of the most important things is building the the um, the fire itself, yes. banking the coals and so on. Yes. Um, yes. What is it that people do wrong when that don't follow this classic way? Well, the main thing is that. You're gonna. You you have to understand where the healthier parts of the animal are, the meatier parts of the animal, and also where the most grease is going to come. The grease is going to come mostly through the middle of the animal. And so what happens is when you don't bank the coals and when you don't get uh, your heat sources kind of aligned properly, the grease just pours down into the middle of your pit, right on top of the fire, and the fire. Oh, yeah. you know, the flames just never go out, and people don't exactly. understand. Exactly. And I get the flame to go out, and it just burned the whole thing up. Because oh, that's they don't right. Have the, they don't have the coals separated to where they aren't absorbing the grease. Um, so it's all just technique and and and. Uh, and yeah, but you know, it's the kind of thing that you need the experience to understand. I mean, are people going to be able to start improving their technique with this book? Yes. 
Absolutely. I think once they understand the banking process and understanding that, you know, you're really just, you know, building a, um, you know, a quote-unquote natural convection oven around your around the pig. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a good way of putting it, that, that you create a convection oven. Yeah, that's, that's great. Right. And you also, the other startling thing is you don't season it until it's done, right? We don't, absolutely. We don't season until post-cook. Because post huh. yep. we used to always marinate the, the, the pig. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, everybody has a different style. But we turn our pig into chopped barbecue. So once we get it deboned, and we get the crackling and the skin kind of separated to where we want to, you know, put it back on the fire a little bit more or use it, then once we chop it and then we get the meat separate and all of the fine parts in one, in one setting, then we begin our seasoning process so that we can kind of make sure that we get it, get it perfect. Oh, okay. Never, never would have yes. thought of that. Yep. No, we, 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 I said we've and done we a variety call, of pig roasts, we, we call them. I mean, they're probably yeah. not real barbecue, but um, we, we had one where um, my cousin was married to a, um, a Cuban, and he had learned from his family chef. I mean, mm-hmm. He could actually bone uh, the pig and then stuff it and put it back into shape without the bones. Oh, wow. You know? It was oh, um, wow. a little bit too much for me. <laughs> that's pretty. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. But you know, there was a lot of basic going on with that, and you don't have any of that with this technique. No, no basic. You know, there was a lot of. Um, the thing is, when we, you know, is a theme in the book that we kind of hold hold true to, and I and I say it with the brisket, but you know, we we cook food to eat. And we cooked food to survive. And it wasn't about uh, trying to win, you know, a photography award or whatever when it came to how we cook. We were cooking to survive and eat good food. So, and we cooked to save a lot of, uh, you know, resources. So we didn't baste it. We didn't pre, you know, pre-season, pre-anything. We, we developed the technique to where we get the animal done and get the meat, you know, as tender, as amazing as as you need it to be, and then once you start your seasoning and your and your tasting afterwards, then that allows you to not waste so much, uh, so many ingredients, you know. Yeah. And you uh, use everything on the pig, really. Everything. You use everything. Yeah. Well, that's oh, very. Oh. I mean, everybody always used everything on the. Um, you know, it's it's just later. Modern cooks don't use everything. I mean. I I still remember um, where were we? Yeah, where um, we had a, some kind of a, a, an event, and um, the uh, we we had remember the black chef from Seattle was it? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yeah. Who cooked chitlins? <laughs> oh yeah, oh, this yeah. is a, this is absolutely a d- definition of brave. <laughs> Yeah. A big public event, and he did chitlins. <laughs> no, he, it was wonderful. The, the, the amazing thing that he did was he actually taught a class in how you oh, in wow. how you prepare. How you clean them and everything? Chili. Oh, yeah. Everything. Oh, wow. It was, I can't remember what event it was, but it was great. 
Now, you you also um, spent time with uh, people who fell in love with your uh, celebrities that fell in love with with your uh, product, uh, including Tony Bourdain. And you yeah. said you didn't even know who he was. That was interesting. Yeah, yeah I didn't. I mean, this was uh, you know we were just getting into the barbecue business, and I was you know fresh out of college, and <laughs> you know. I, my dad, we had, we had been working very hard for a long time, but, you know, in our area in the South, we were really trying to make a living. We were really just trying to survive and pay bills and get our lives on track from losing my grandfather. But lo and behold, you know, New York City is full of – New York and, and uh, you know, the citizens of New York are always – five, ten years ahead of whatever it is, we, you know, you get oh, yeah. about you want to, you're trying to do, right? So yeah. they had been developing uh, a show, and Food Network was in its, you know, one or two, England phase, like two years old maybe. But they had already put together, um, you know, production on how they were going to come through the South and film different cooking styles and barbecue places and really introduce that to the world mm-hmm. through – Food Network and through one of his shows. And so we didn't have any idea that people would even be what we were doing was, was, was going to be something, uh, you know, uh, entertaining, you know. So <laughs> we, get these, we, we get these emails and, and everything from uh, Antonio Bourdain and, and his production company about wanting to come down, and I, you know, totally ignored him. I didn't know what it was about. I was like, okay, cool. Uh, you know, you guys want to come out? We, you know, back that back then, you know, they would leave voicemails. We had an answer machine, so I'm I'm trying to start my day and get through the lunch crowd. And we got, you know, the phones ringing off the hook about some production company that wants to come down <laughs> and, and and film us cooking barbecue. And we got a line at uh, the door, the people yelling <laughs> everywhere. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, man. You guys just show up. Uh, I guess no, no problem. We'll we'll do what you need. So. Uh, <laughs> Lo and behold, it's it's Anton who who we will know now as Antonio Bardane. But this was yeah. season uh, this was only season two of the show, uh, and you know I never forget you know the thing the hospitality he he showed to me. You know even he, though he was in our place, he wanted me to understand why he was there, and he wanted me to understand that what we were doing was going to be so monumental and so uh, instrumental in making sure that bar- barbecue and our culture remain relevant. And I didn't, you know, I was early 20s, and I wasn't connecting the dots at that time. Uh, and he helped me, he helped me do that uh, because he was, you know, the first name that was interested. And lo and behold, you know, as, as the next 10 years go along and he becomes who he is, you kind of look back like, wow, that was the voice of, you know, someone yeah. who knew. Yeah, sad, sad tale, actually. But yeah. Um, yeah. Now, you have, just for the listeners, you have a lot more in this book than, I mean, besides the, all the, the background that I was talking about, uh, a mm-hmm. lot more uh, cooking and, and um, recipes and so forth than just whole hog cooking. I yes. mean, a lot of people will want this cookbook in smaller portions than a whole hog. <laughs> Correct. Correct. It's a handful. Um, you're, you have all these other recipes in here. Um, I'm, another reason I connect with you is 
you love okra like we love okra. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. My grandmother, uh, that was her. That's her favorite. One of her favorite dishes. So we grew up on okra around here, and uh, so I could not include that. Yeah, and you also love crackling, and, and yeah. I was so so set up for always having crackling. Uh, and you know, in Europe, you can buy the the pork with the crackling on it, and mm-hmm. and it's still legal in the United States for some reason. So oh, wow. I mean, I I found a, somebody who would put a um, sort of tie of, of the fat on top of it. Just wasn't the same thing on a pork roast. But mm-hmm. you have all kinds of great recipes employing crackling, and yeah. and yeah. yeah, and and I I love those. I love the, the crackling, crackling cornbread. We yeah, have the crackling cornbread in there. We use the crackling press it down on, on, uh, as um, as uh, almost like a breading on one of the chicken wing recipes. Uh, yeah. So, and, and Ryan, which, where, where you make your moonshine is a secret, right? <laughs> yeah, I would, <laughs> yeah. That's my dad area. That's my dad's expertise and uh, Dr. Conyers. <laughs> yeah, well, there were, uh, I guess I want to convey to the listeners that there's a lot more than uh, just the whole hog cooking here. I mean, you've got um, you've got yams, you've got, um, I love your Other church beans. ladies, candied yams, that's really cute. Yeah. And yeah. You, you've uh, got... Potato salad. Uh, we um, even try to show a little love to our vegetarian friends, and we've got some uh, burn-in, smoked uh, tofu in there, burn-in tofu. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> and and we're we're having we're having Brussels sprouts tonight, so I'm thinking of using your garlic Brussels sprouts recipe. Oh man, that's, not that's a whole. Good. I don't have and collards. I love collards as well. Yeah, and you, you have um, also uh, some sweets. Um, you have so many other recipes in here as well, so I think that the listeners, even if you don't want to cook a whole hog in your backyard, you can find plenty of good things in in this book. Um, what what do you think you touch on the the future of barbecue? What do you think is going to happen? You're now on a whole different kind of a, you, you no longer have that little restaurant. Tell us Correct. what Correct. current business is. Well, right now we have been fortunate enough to get our barbecue sauces and our rubs in, in grocery stores. So we're in right at uh, 5,000 grocery stores around the country. So for us, you know, the future is really just trying to get the roots of barbecue back uh, back to the bottle and kind of get customers and everyone back to a, a place of enjoying more natural recipes, void of a lot of sugar, um, and and um, and so that's, that, that's primarily where we're at. And then we're also building our new restaurant here in Raleigh, so we'll be opening that uh, in 2024. Yeah, when you said summer of 2024, I think you said in the book. Yes, yes. Right. Um, how do people get your um, your products that you? Uh, our products are. Uh, we have um, the website for our products is called TrueMadeFoods.com. Um, Tell me again how to spell that. Uh, True Made Foods, that's T-R-U-E-M-A-D-E foods.com. And then we have the Ed Mitchell line of barbecue sauces and rubs. Um, But we are in uh, Whole Foods, Sprouts, Harris Teeters, uh, Fresh Markets, 
um, Bilo, Sprout. Yeah, well, you're uh, doing swell there. You're the business brain behind all this, aren't you? Yeah, I'm, try, I'm trying to keep it going. I'm trying to keep it going. But if you go to, if you go to the website and put in your, your location, it'll tell you the stores that carry our products that are near you. And so uh, you, can, you can find them that way as well. Okay, and, and the, the website, is this True Made Foods or is it something else? Yes, it's true, uh, TrueMadeFoods.com. .com. Well, this has been very enlightening, and, and I, your book is a game changer, I think, anyhow. Um, uh, I, I, so I pray you're I right. Just, I appreciate the kind words. Oh, listen, it's great. And um, I, I, I wish I could just taste your barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> Soon enough. How do I do that? I'm not going to do a whole pig, that's for sure. I did that before. It's a lot of work. It is It is a lot of work, I tell you. It's a lot of well, work. Well, I really appreciate your taking the time to talk to us because you have a lot of projects going. Um, and uh, I think your, your daddy's happy to have you helping, right? He is, very much so. He, he gets the kind of... You know, do his thing, kick back a little bit, and 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 jump in and save the day when when necessary. And and it's a, it's a whole lot better than working at a bank, isn't it? <laughs> oh God, much better, much better than sitting in my my cubicle for fourteen hours. <laughs> what a change! Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, All right, so. listeners. Again, it's um Ed Mitchell's barbecue. Uh, Ed and Ryan Mitchell, Pitmasters, and it's a book that absolutely should be in your um, in, in your cookbook library. And you also should check out the TrueMadeFoods.com website for where you could get these wonderful products. Thank you again. Have a good day, Ryan Mitchell. Thank, thank, thank you so much for having me. Thank much you. Much success on the show. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. We're talking to Amy Wissegruder, and Wissegruder, with that, that name, it's not surprising that her product is Witsy Raw Granola. Uh, you didn't have to travel very far for a name of your product, Amy, right? Excuse me? You didn't have to travel very far for the name of your product. <laughs> I, I think you're joking with me, right? With yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, to, to start with, I wanted, if you could, wonder if you could explain uh, what is different with raw granola as opposed to the general granola that we usually pick up in the store? So most granola is baked. Um, it's prepared, mixed. However, the ingredients or the recipe uh, directs, and then it's put into an oven, usually at high temperatures, and it's baked. And that's why oh. it's, yeah, crunchy and um, dry and flaky. So our product is not. We do not use that method. It, um, we, we dehydrate instead. Okay. 
Because yeah. we haven't been cooking it. Peter's been eating it every morning. So, <laughs> with the, with the conno, does the connoisseur of granola generally prefer uh, at least some level of preference for the way you do it versus the way everybody else does it? I would say that a very informed health uh, person would be interested in the way that I do it. Um, not necessarily a, a food connoisseur, but a health a health enthusiast. Because there are things in it that are what? Well, because there's a lot of benefits to uh, soaking and dehydrating that increase the digestion ability and also... Oh, okay, got it, got it. Yeah, the texture and the nutrition. Now, do, do, do you know a granola which declares on the package that it's absolutely the very best granola in the whole world? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. Do you? <laughs> well, yeah, we, we, we do get that sometimes when, when, we're, when we're obliged to get granola because we don't, we don't have any. It does seem rather bold for, for them to declare on the very package that this is, the, this is the very best granola in the whole world. Yeah, I'm not sure the FDA would let that fly. <laughs> well, it, it's it's there, it's there, it's there in black and white. But but, but gr granola didn't there didn't used to be a thing called granola. There wasn't a product called granola. The closest thing was probably rice crisp rice krispies, or uh, <laughs> what what what's what's the one that has uh, muesli. Muesli, I guess, is another one. And then, and then there's, there's one that has, uh, I can't remember the name of the ingredient. So, so where did granola suddenly appear from? Well, I think it, it has evolved from trail mix, which um, tends to be a mix of nuts and fruit, and sometimes there's candy or other sweets in there and um, cereals that had changed to try to be a little more healthy instead of mostly just bad-for-you sweetened boxes of not-real-healthy snacks. So um, You also, we should mention, make a trail mix, too. We do. We do. We mostly call that a trail mix because of the flavor palette of it, not necessarily anything different in the way that we make it. But I think there's been a lot of people um, that over the years have been sort of on the fringe that were interested in vegan diets and um, ate and um, food industry kind of matched their demands for, you know, snacks that had oats and fruit and nuts. And so I think it's been around for many, many years granola as a as a thing separate from cereal as a as a actually uh -huh. product so, category so it's distinctly different than raisin bran that was that was the that was the brand i was searching for oh raisin yeah no do they still I, make raisin bran oh sure sure they push they push you more than ever it it, it comes be, between one portion of where where you're where you're going to suffer because you will suffer from eating raisin bran. 
all of this, all this isn't some some of the reason that says there's all these raisins in it, and that makes it better. Oh yeah. But there sure aren't very many. <laughs> well, you know, our we have a bunch of European relatives, and um, the thing that absolutely knocks their socks off is how many cereals and how long the the cereal aisles in the American supermarkets are. <laughs> yeah, I did see a statistic that that is the most frequent. Um, frequently visited aisle in a grocery store, which kind of makes me sad because there's not a whole lot of healthy things in a box of cereal. And, yeah, yeah, so it's kind of a a sad reflection on our country that that is such a popular aisle. And not only are there not very healthy things, there's just really bad for you things in that aisle. All the additives are horrible, yeah and the sugar and the lack of protein and the highly processed way that yeah. they make the cereal, you know, not what we see. Let me, let me ask you a question which I hope is not too difficult because the answer is fairly important. What, what are the components of one of your typical granolas that makes it so good? Well, that is really the crux of it all, is all the ingredients are are clean, single-source, um, organic ingredients. And so we use nuts, we use seeds in some of the granolas, we use fruit and spices. And the only thing that we add to enhance the flavor that's not a nut or a fruit or a seed is a little bit of organic maple syrup. So all clean quality ingredients that we are particular about sourcing. And so it really starts there. And all the other benefits come from what those ingredients offer. So nuts are are a great source of many things. And everybody should consume some nuts and some way each day. They're great for heart health. They're great for brain health. There's, they're loaded with essential fatty acids. They're just a great um, go-to uh, part of your diet. And then, of course, yeah. the, the fruit that we use <clears throat> and the spices that we use are also organic and also offer some health benefits. So there's um, cinnamon, which helps with inflammation. There's turmeric and ginger, which helps which help with gut health. Oh, turmeric is one of our favorite things. That has so many benefits. I had a cookbook that came, which called it, um, it was, what was it, um, Spice Heroes. And it was Mm -hmm. the first one listed in this book. Over, you know, the most important one. Yeah, I, I, I add honey to mine sometimes. Might might be overkill, but it sure tastes good. <laughs> yeah, I don't have anything against honey. I just uh, our product is vegan, so um, oh, okay, got it, got it. So the, the vegan vegans can't eat honey. No, and you know what? They don't. It, it doesn't behave well, honestly, because the the granola that we make you've had is dry to the touch, even if it's warm. So 
I have it in my car. I use it in my bento box when I'm biking. I'll take it with me hiking on a hot day, and it never gets uh, sticky, so it stays dry. So that's okay, one of the perks right. of not using honey, and also it doesn't offend any vegans, and, and we love our vegans. Uh, yeah, yeah, I bet you do. Um, you, how, how did you, have you, how old is this company, and how old is this uh, formulation? Of granola. I mean, when did you get into this business, and how did you start, and why did you start? Well, the company is five years old this month, and the original recipe um, is oh, fifteen years old. And oh, really? Yes, all the other recipes came within the last five years. So, the original recipe was created. Um, primarily for changes that were happening in our house because of my son and his health issues. And uh-huh. yeah, so that was that's really the motivation for it all. Although it sort of all blends together um, into my story. But um, my son, he's 18 now, and when he was young, he was very ill and had. Uh, a liver transplant when he was eight months old. Oh, um, my God. Oh, woo. Yeah, it was big. In fact, I was his donor, so it's even bigger. Really? Um, yes. And wow. so he always had this health team around him monitoring him, and um, he had a you know team of gastroenterologists, and uh, you know he had a really rough couple of first years. And he always had issues with digestion, and it was very easy to – attributed to his health challenges. And um, as he moved past the medical fragile part, he still had all of these gut issues. He was, you know, very bloated. Um, he, he just never seemed to feel well, and we just couldn't um, figure out what was happening. We, were, we thought we were feeding him well. And around two and a half, we had him evaluated because he was also not making very steady developmental gains. And so we were concerned that there was something happening, which was also um, not unusual for a, a, a child who had spent so much time in that hospital to be behind developmentally. So there was all kinds of reasons to explain what was happening with him, but he was diagnosed with um, autism and when we started to dig into what do you do and how do you help someone with autism and where are the schools and what do you do, um, we also kept reading about special diets for kids with autism and reading about gluten intolerance and reading about some of these other things that were really common with the population. And this is so long ago that there were no, um, no one was talking about gluten-free diets so much Nobody uh, thought that they had anything, there was any benefit to removing gluten from your diet. There was no... Um, oh, that's a long time ago. A long time ago. So we were kind of out on our own, but um, we did find some resources, and they were sort of hard to come by, but there were these pockets of experts out there that were saying, wait a second, there's more to this. And um, so that's what we did. We started to... Um, try things and remove gluten and then other common allergens. We removed dyes and corn and dairy and soy and guess what? He 
he started to feel better. That did not cure his autism. He still has autism, but his belly and his ability to tolerate food um, was was a game changer um, decision on our part. So that's when I started to cry, try to create healthier snacks in our house, and I learned about I learned how to dry fruit, and I learned about soaking nuts, and I played around and played around until I came. I mean, I had a lot of really terrible uh, snacks that didn't come out in a pantry full of, full of, you know, crazy flowers and all these alternative things that didn't work out. But this granola, <laughs> everybody liked. So I just made big batches for years, and like every entrepreneur hears, oh, my gosh, you should, this is so good, you should sell it. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that's sort of how it all came to so mind. What did you do before? I mean, so what did I, you... I worked in, in medical sales for a number of years. And uh, when, when my son, he's, he's my youngest, so when he was really struggling, I stopped working for a long time and I was just focused on my children. Uh-huh. And when things started to smooth out and we found the right school for him that focuses on kids with autism and we got his diet a little more... Um, tolerable. I do go back to work for a bit and then I um, I lost that job. I was actually fired from that job and I swore I would never go back to that kind of work environment. It was not a healthy one and I uh, decided I would give it a try and so uh, it's been five years. No, well, no. This, this is no. not too unusual a story by the way. It, it comes down to a personal experience how people end up with the product and in this business, specialty food business. Now, hold on a minute. Where, where does the transplant fit in? Um, so he was eight months when he, well, we knew when he was born that he was going to need um, not only a, a liver transplant, but a kidney transplant too. But the That's liver great. was much more, um, much more, immediate so in fact we had to wait until he was big enough to even have a portion of my liver had we had found a donor from another another child you know he would have had it much sooner but um, he was really sick he and and your kidneys and livers are are supposed to filter out toxins and you know they weren't doing their job and he was just getting thicker and thicker and thicker. So I don't you know, know how you have the energy have the energy to <laughs> branch out. <laughs> that really takes a lot of strength to be able to do that. So, so you must well, be pretty, you must have been pretty thrilled when you found out you were a match. I was, yes. Um and was my husband. We were both both tested and Oh wow. Um, but it, it made more sense for me to be the donor because I'm smaller and, you know, my organs would be smaller too and, and my son was a baby. So um, it made more sense for me. But my husband also had the chance to uh, donate an organ because my son also had a kidney transplant when he was uh, eight. So he was his kidney donor. So he's like this miracle bionic kid. I would say so. Oh, yeah. wow. Wow. You, you, ought to, you ought to be on the Today Show. Ah. They have all kinds of stories. They have all kinds of stories like this on their 
on their program and not 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 nearly as interesting as the one you described. Oh well, it's a, it's a, the gift of life is really quite powerful, and we have both been my husband and I and our whole family actually has been involved with our organ procurement organization in um, Northeast Ohio is called Life Bank, and so we've been involved with them for a number of years, and um, so you hear these amazing stories um, that just I don't know. It, it just kind of ensures your faith in humanity that how people would would donate organs to one another and oh they, they uh, people donate organs to strangers yeah yeah it's you know, incredible it is incredible I mean because it's not minor surgery to do that amazing right. um, um well you you still have a, a lot of get up and go if you're able to to go from that kind of a, an experience and to start a, a company when you didn't really, you probably had no experience in the food business, right? Oh, none. Yeah, none. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, uh, tell me about um, how people go about I mean, do you have a website? How do people find your product? Yes, it, we do have a website. It's just witsiesrawgranola.com. And so uh-huh. they can buy it there. And we do ship it all over the country. It always um, you know, makes me feel special when someone's discovered it that lives so far away. Um, and then we are in uh, a lot of grocery stores in northeast Ohio and a little splattering in um, other states. And then... Some people pick it up on Amazon, which um, I, I frankly am not crazy about having it on Amazon. Like, <laughs> they control it. I mean, what can you do? Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand about that. But, um, yeah. So. If we're a small company and we, we are really do think local is, is important and we've, we've participated in farmer's markets for the last, you know, four years and, and, and that's, we love that vibe. Um, but because Amazon is like a search engine now, it's 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 a visibility thing. So um, mm-hmm. what we hope is if people discover it, then they'll come to the website or they'll go to their grocery store and buy it. Uh-huh. Um, are, are you expanding by developing new recipes, new um, flavor profiles and things like that or what? We are. We uh, launched two new ones. Uh, within the last year, a uh, lemon raspberry and a chocolate honeyberry. And we are also... That's, that's the one I had today. That's the one I had for breakfast today, the honeyberry. Oh. Yeah, and I, we were really excited to, to use honeyberries because they're so rare. And they're so I don't know anything about honeyberries. What are they? So they're this, they're this little berry, and they're, they're kind of like a elongated cross between... Um, like a prune and a pomegranate almost. They're not very sweet. They're, their exterior is real dark purple, and the interior is super um, staining. It'll leave your fingers red. Um, Where do you find them? How did you find them? So we buy our um, blueberries and raspberries from an organic farmer in Washington State, and he sent me a sample. 
And he also sent me a chart that showed the antioxidant levels of various different berries and a couple of other metrics were on there. And I was so impressed, like anoni berries and all these rare berries, how much more antioxidants they had than berries that I normally eat. So I thought, well, these are great. I have to to try to use them in something. And that's because they're mild and not overpowering. I thought they would pair well with the cacao in the chocolate, letting the cacao kind of speak for itself, but still giving it a pretty color and uh, obviously a lot of nutrition. Uh Yeah, the the fruit and berry market is um, very constrictive. It's, I mean, I've, I've read books about how they develop markets and fruits and um, the, the whole breeding thing and the, the, the battles that go on in, in the marketplace for, for this kind of thing. We've interviewed um, breeders. I mean, it, there are developed types of fruits that never have a chance because of how restrictive the market is in, in fruit and berries. Yeah, I believe it. It seems that wherever you shop has the same supplier. It's the same it's, stuff. It's all cutthroat too. Yeah. But I mean, they they actually control it that way. It's terrible. And and the breeding takes forever, you know, because you have to wait uh, all the the in between times till you get the product, and then you have to make sure that you could um, clone it onto the next um, you know plant or whatever. So now. The, uh, so you could see this, your market right now is health-conscious consumers, right? Well, I think that's a big part of it, but also anyone who wants to have a clean product and have it taste good. So for so long, healthy foods that were packaged were... Um, Cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> They just didn't taste good. So I have, I, I think we have an equal split of people that just like it because they know it's good for them and it tastes good, and then the people that um, know it's good for them or only eat healthy food and they like the taste. So I think it's a, it's it's for anyone who wants a crunchy, um, nice topping to their yogurt or smoothie or a bowl of berries or I put it on salads. I put it on. Asian bowls have put it on all sorts of things. Wow. Yeah, well, Peter's been just steadily going through all the products. <laughs> so I'm assuming he likes it. He, he does make a production, but he tops it with, I make him um, stewed fruit in the winter and fresh fruit in the spring and summer. And he does do honey and sometimes yogurt with it all. <laughs> so, It's a big breakfast. I also use half and half. Oh, yeah, half and half. He's very skinny, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) You can't can't, can't just put any kind of rubbish in your system. I'm I'm probably offending the cow on the commercial for for lactate. (laughs) Oh, dear. Well, I... I, it was great to discover you, and, and I hope that you can keep expanding your reach. And um, it's, it's a great story, and it, I mean, it has a happy ending, right? Right, yes, right. And, and, that's and, great. I, and what's, 
what's your son what's your son's name so we can so we can talk about him when we want to uh his name is paul paul, paul. okay that's, that's peter's brother's name. brother's name oh yeah yeah i think what i what i love most is that it's um it's it's so purposeful um, it's healthy. We're putting something good out there, and my son's actually involved, and so are some of his peers. So, oh, that's you know, great. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a challenge when you have um, a child with a disability who isn't going to leave the school-based setting and go get a job or go to college or do whatever. You have to uh-huh. scratch for what's going to happen, and so that's always been a concern of ours. And so having um, him come to the kitchen with his teachers um, and practice different vocational skills along with some peers is an excellent way for him to learn how to one day, you know, work alongside me or be a part of, you know, it doesn't have to be our company, but maybe it could be another company just practice skills. So it's a full circle. um, We we have a, a chef friend in the Modena, Italy, who has a son with a disability and um, was very concerned, uh, like you, about the future, the son's future. <laughs> so um, this chef friend set up a, um, a um, what kind of factory is it, a pasta? He built a pasta, he built, he built a pasta factory. Yeah. Um, and tortellini. The, tortellini. They make tortellinis. And, and he, his son works there, and all of his son's friends can work there. And, and it's uh, it's really amazing, and everybody's happy. It's great. Yeah, that's and we're, awesome. And we're we're happy. You've made it. You've made us happy at least for the rest of the day. <laughs> thank you, Amy, and and well, continued so success. Thank you so much Likewise. for bringing us a story. Oh, thank, thank you. Sure. Okay. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. <laughs>